You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead and turn to Genesis 29. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, and we'll have, it, uh, we'll have it on the screen as well. There's been many famous battles over history um, that many of you are familiar with. You have the battle, you know, you have the Alamo, you know, Davy Crockett. Uh, you have uh, the Battle of Waterloo, where uh, Napoleon got it. Um, Yorktown, end of the Revolutionary War. The Battle of Gettysburg, a big Civil War battle. The Battle of the Bulge, big World War II battle. The Battle for Endor, uh, where the rebels won and beat Darth, uh, Darth Vader. Um, but today we're going to look at a lesser known battle, but a significant one. And it is the Battle of Mandrakes and Maids. It's a, it's a dark tale, I will not lie. Uh, but what we're going to see is this family that we've been kind of walking with for the last couple of weeks, they're going to go to battle. And they're going to go to war. Uh, and, and the message is not, okay, good, everyone's dysfunctional, be encouraged, they're just as bad as us. That's not the message. There is a root cause and root issue of why this family is fighting. And we're going to kind of see that as we unpack the text. And so, because I think it's the same root issue some of us wrestle with in life. Uh, and so we're going to look at what that is and, and, and the solution, ultimately, because we don't want to just say, yeah, this is bad. We want to have the solution. Um, so when these battles in our life show up, um, we know where to go. And what we'll see as we kind of unpack, we're going to start in the 29 and go all the way to uh, middle of, verse, of chapter 30. But we're going to see five, I call them skirmishes, kind of five movements of the text. You're going to see kind of boom, ba-doom, ba-doom. And just going to see this family uh, going at it. And I, and I think the original audience... Remember, it was the people of Israel. They're walking in the wilderness, uh, and they're, uh, for 40 years, waiting to go in the promised land. And I think when they heard this story for the first time, it, it, a light bulb would have come on and be like, this, this makes a lot of sense. Right, there's a scene in, in this old movie, not that old, but old for some of y'all, Men in Black, where Will Smith um, finds out from Tommy Lee Jones that he, there's aliens in the world, and, and he's like, Tommy Lee Jones is crazy, isn't it? Will Smith says, no, it makes sense because I swear my third grade teacher was from Venus or something. And, and he says, no, no, actually Jupiter or one of the moons, right? But the idea, oh, this makes sense now. Israel sees, this is where we came from. This is dysfunctional family. No wonder we're so jacked up living in the wilderness. But the encouragement is this. God's gonna take these, this, this family. He's gonna bring the Messiah through this messed up family. If God can do that in their lives, then he can surely do great things in ours. And so we're gonna unpack this. If you're, if you're a first-time guest with us, we've been working our way through the second half of Genesis, and what we've seen is this guy Jacob, who is a liar and a deceitful guy, he steals from his brother twice, has to run away, his life is in danger. He runs away to his uncles, and he meets his cousin, who he marries, but he actually is deceived by his uncle, and he marries the wrong cousin, and so his, and his uncle says, well, I'll give you both. I'll give, you can marry both these girls. So he marries two sisters. It's not good. All right? And I told you last week, briefly, I would kind of deal with uh, how come we see so much polygamy in the Old Testament? Because a lot of times people say, oh, well, God, you know, God allows this. God never once endorses polygamy in the Bible. Every time it turns into bad stuff. But here's what he does. He does because of his grace. He allows people to make dumb choices. 
But that just because he allows things does not mean he endorses things. He made it clear from the beginning, Genesis 1, one man, one woman, in covenant for life. Jesus affirms that in the New Testament. Paul affirms it when he says you have to be a husband of one life. So, so just because something happens does not mean God is for it. But also remember this. At this point, when Jacob and Esau are living, there's no Bible. The Bible's not even begun yet for another 400 years. So the only revelation they have is kind of God saying, Abraham, go, and I'm gonna make your father of many nations. That's the only real revelation they have. So we can give old boy a little bit of a break. He does adopt some of the views of the culture, and he does things that are not wise. But he, this is what they did, and he doesn't have the Bible, all right? The revelation of scripture has been progressive from, from Genesis 1. Now, we, all, we have the complete revelation of God. We have the entire scripture, so we can look back and say, yeah, dumb. But they didn't have that then. So we gotta be very careful that we don't look back on their culture and judge them for something that they really didn't have a lot of truth. Because here's what's gonna happen to us. If Jesus doesn't come back for a thousand years, people are gonna look back on our culture and, and judge us. And you don't know what they're gonna judge. You, we have no clue at what they're gonna look at but they might say things like, do you believe that a thousand years ago people used to, to take pictures of their food and send it to people? And that they would spend $1.4 billion on Valentine's Day for their pets, which is what we spent according to an article? Did they not know that there were starving people all over the world but they had to feed their labradoodle a chocolate treat? So, so just let's be a little bit gracious with these people who lived 4,000 years ago that don't have quite the revelation that we have. Because the real issue here is not, it's not a good thing, the polygamy is not a good thing, but it's not the main issue. We are going to see what the main issue is, okay? So let's, let's unpack skirmish number one, all right? Battle number one, here we go, verse 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. The word hated there is a, is a Hebrew rhetorical device. It doesn't mean that Jacob actively hated, but it's by way of comparison, she was not loved. Jacob loves Rachel. Leah is unloved. Now, they both are dealing with their own issues here because Rachel has the affection and love of her husband, but she is barren, which in that day was horrible, right? Culturally, that was a shame. But she has, she has love, but she does not have children. Leah longs for her husband's love, but she is going to have kids. So each one of these sisters has something that the other one wants. And that is gonna come into play as, as babies are born. And with each baby that is born, we're gonna see, the name means something. It's gonna be very re revelation uh, for where their hearts are. Right? So they're gonna name the kids of what they're thinking about and where they're responding. So verse 32, Leah conceived and she bore a son and she called his name Reuben because Reuben means, look, a son. All right, so very, you know, very logical, right? Boy, boy. Uh, because the Lord had looked upon her affliction and, and this is the sad part of the statement. Now my husband will love me. She's thinking, she's just wanting to get her husband's affection. And she, she says, now he'll love me because I've given him a boy. I've given him a son. And you see this craving. She is craving affection. Her sister is craving kids, right? And it's sad. And the question is this. You think he'll love you, but will he? I mean, is, is this going to change uh, something for you? Are you gonna get his affirmation? Are you gonna get what you're after? That's the question, right? But we're gonna see. Next verse, she conceived again and bore a son. 
and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, she, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon, which is rooted into the Hebrew word Shema, which means here, God has seen me, and now God has heard me. And there's this idea of she's got some faith and she's crying out to God and God hears her, but you still see her longing and craving and trying really hard to get this affection and it's just not happening. So the next verse, she conceived again and bore a son and she said, now this time my husband will be attached or connected to me because I have borne him three sons. So she called his name Levi, which means connected, attached. Surely now, look at me, I am killing it here. I am hitting home runs. I am, I'm up three on Rachel, three to zero. Look how I'm performing, look how I'm doing. And it's this idea where she thinks, I can just perform and, and earn. And how many of us in our lives have tried to perform, perform, perform for a, for a relative or for a spouse or for a parent or for a employer or for some organization trying to get affirmation only to find it doesn't, doesn't move the needle. That's where she's at, right? And so she does again. She conceived again and bore a son, and, and there's a little change here. It says, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called him Judah, which means praise the Lord, right? And there's a little bit of a change. It's, it's almost as if she's like, it's been, four, it's been at least four years, right? Because we know it takes a little bit of time to have kids. So she has been for three, four, five years trying to earn, trying to perform, trying to get her husband to just give her affection and he will not do it. And so finally she rests and says, fine, I'm just gonna rest in God. I'm gonna praise the Lord. And it seems to be a little bit of growth for her that she would rest. And here's what's interesting. Who's the most famous person to ever come from Judah? the lion of Judah, right? The Messiah, whom Hebrews 4 says, in him we have rest. And it seems like she's in a good spot, finally. She's ceased to, to striving and know that he is God, right? But that's just skirmish number one. We're gonna see her actually back, come fall back a little bit. But skirmish number two, we switch to the other sister. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and she said, give me children or I will die. All right, they both have something the other one wants. The grass is greener on the other side. You want kids, you want love, and they're trying and striving. And in her jealousy and envy, she's, she's putting demands on her husband that he can't, that he can't do anything about, right? That, I mean, he's like, I, I'm trying my best. And he's gonna get all theological with her next, which is not what she needs. But it's an interesting idea that sometimes when, the, because of something we want, that we would put pressure on other people to meet this need, and ultimately they can't meet that need, right? And that's where, that's where he's at, and it's frustrating to him, so his anger is kindled against him, and he says, am I in the place of God? He gets all theological. He's all A.W. Tozer here. You're, you're a knucklehead before, and now you're all spiritual. Oh, I can't do anything. This is a God thing. But it's interesting that she says, if I don't have this, I will die. There's something in her soul that if it doesn't get met, she's like, it's not, life is not worth living. And, and that's, anytime you put an idol or something out there and put pressure on other people, when you don't get it or when you do and it doesn't come through, it feels like a death. And that's, why, that's where she's at, right? And so Jacob should be giving her compassion, but instead he's just like all spiritual, okay, you know, this is a God thing. And so Rachel does what we all do. She tries to get what she wants in her way. She says, okay, then here's my servant, Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. 
We have seen this before, right? And his granddaddy. But here, here's, here's kind of where we're at. You want something, you haven't got something, you figure out a way to do it. And even if it's gone sideways for other people, you say, well, I'll be different. I can date him even though no one else can because, because I'll be different. I can, I can overwork myself. I can handle that. No one else can handle it, but I can handle it. And guess what's gonna happen? It's gonna train right, right? And so Jacob, being the moron at this point that he is, says, okay, and he does. And he goes into Bilhah, and she conceived Jacob a son, and then she names him Dan, which means God has vindicated me. She says, God has judged me, has heard my voice, and given me a son. Then she called him, she called him vindication. What she's saying is, it was a great idea. It worked. Look what happened. I got a son out of it. Dan, judged, vindicated. And, and understand this, when you kind of take matters into your own hands, sometimes there will be a short-term success. But the question is, what will be the long-term? And so she does it again. Rachel's servant again bore him a second son. And she says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. And so she called him Neftali, which means wrestling. And, and again, look at the language. I'm, be, I'm winning. I went to war with my sister. I may be down four to two, but I have the love. So I got two boys and I got the love. She just got the boys. I am winning. I am winning, right? That's the mentality. She's winning. She's trying to get a war. She thinks she's fighting her sister, but ultimately she's fighting herself. So here's where we're at so far. Here's kind of, you know, after two skirmishes, we got six children, all right? It's going to get a little bit crazier. Skirmish number three, all right? When Leah saw that she ceased bearing children, she's, she's like, oh man, she's catching up. I'm only up four to two. She slips back into her deal and she, takes, she says, oh, I'll, take, I'll, I'll see your two kids and I'll raise you two kids. She said, you can do it with a servant. I'll take my servant. And she gives Zilpah to Jacob as a wife and Jacob being the strong theologian says, okay. And he bore Jacob a son and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she calls him Gad. Gad means lucky, good fortune. Look how lucky I am. We're gonna call him Lucky. And then it happens again. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I. So I'm gonna call him Asher, happy. So I got lucky and happy out of this deal. But notice the little phrase in the middle. It says, women have called me happy. People say I should be happy. That's six, six boys. I should be happy. Is she? She doesn't seem to be because she's, she's still trying, she's still striving. So we go to skirmish number four of the battle of maids and mandrakes. And in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field, brought them to his mother Leah. A mandrake for that day, we don't understand this completely because we don't live uh, 4,000 years ago, but they were seen as an aphrodisiac or a fertility drug of some kind. Reuben is out in the field, he finds some, he brings them to his mom, which shows that he sees that mom is still striving. And Rachel sees it and says, can you give me some of your son's mandrakes? But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? You take away my mandrakes too? You took my husband. You're already loved. You have everything else. Now you wanna take my son's mandrakes? That's the nature of the relationship. That's, that's a, a hard Thanksgiving dinner, 
right? That's, that's what's going on in this house. Uh, and then Rachel, she's wanted to make a deal. She says, I'll make a trade. You can, you can go into your husband tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. I'll let you have a date night tonight for your son's mandrakes. She says, deal. So she goes out when Jacob comes in from the field and she said to him, you must come into me tonight for I have hired you. I bought you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Yisachar, which means wages, reward. Here's the irony. Rachel thought, I'm gonna win. I get the mandrakes. Who ends up having a kid? Leah, right? She, she puts her up by one. Now it's five to two, not counting the other two. And then it happens again. Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. She's still striving, and so she calls him Zebulun, which means honor. He, he has to honor me now. I'm killing it here. Six kids, not to mention the two. That's eight to two. I'm winning, right? But, but she never gets what she wants, right? And then she even has a daughter named Dina, which means justified or vindicated. And she's gonna come back in a few weeks. We're gonna see a tragedy happen to her. But here's where we're at, all right? We got lots of kids. We're starting to build the starting nine, right? Um, but yet Rachel has not seen any fruit yet except for through her servant. But God is gonna answer her. So we go to the last skirmish, right? And God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son. And she says, God has taken away my reproach, which is a huge telling statement because it shows that these two boys that she had through her servant didn't really help. She thought they were gonna help. It didn't satisfy her. It also shows that she knew what she was doing was not the right way. But now she says, but now I have a boy and we're gonna call him Joseph. And he's, gonna, he's the hero of the book, right? He's the guy that's gonna picture Jesus. He's the one that's gonna spend, we're gonna spend most of the time looking at. But look what she says. Do you know what Joseph's name means? It means, give me another. G give me another son. So she gets what she wants and she's been longing for and she names him more. She wants more. And she actually will have one more son. His name will be Benjamin, but he is going to kill her in childbirth. And, and we're gonna see that in a couple weeks, but she's finally gonna get what she wants and then it's gonna take her life. But you see, both women are getting kind of what they want, but they're not happy, right? They're not. And so here's, here's where we're at. We got Joseph, Benjamin's coming through Rachel. This is, these are your tribes, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. So when you see the little map, there's, Manat, you know, there's uh, Judah and there's Benjamin and there's Levi. You know, Levi actually doesn't get any, um, uh, any, any land because Yahweh is his inheritance. They become the priests. But you see all these names? This is them. This, God's promise to have kids and be a great nation is finally getting some traction. It's taken 150 years, but we're finally getting some traction. But what's, what's the point? I mean, What's, what is the root problem of this house? And maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, a knucklehead passive husband is the problem because Jacob is just all standing there. And, and you, that, there could be some argument there that Jacob has not done a good job here. But he's not the ultimate issue, although he is an issue. If you had 
you know, you got Rebecca, I mean, Rachel, and you got Leah on the couch. And you're like, okay, ladies, let's talk about this. What's going on? What would you tell them? What would you tell them? What's the issue here? Why are you guys fighting? I think the issue, Jesus' half-brother James, he hits the nail on the head when he says this. What, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you, Rachel, Leah? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire and you don't have. You wanna, get, you wanna have kids, you want your husband's love. You don't have these things, so what do you do? You murder, and, and Jesus says murder is just hating in your heart, which they clearly have. You murder. You covet and cannot obtain, they have that, they do. So you fight, and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. They both think, if I get that, I'll be happy. And when they get that, they're not happy. And in the end, it just keeps spiraling out of control and the battle of mandrakes and maids continues to go, skirmish after skirmish after skirmish, because it's never enough. It's never enough. I read a New York Times article this week. Uh, it was an interview with Ben Affleck. And Affleck has had a, a rough go of it the last couple of years, not only because he's the worst Batman in history, but because he's just had a bad... Bad go out of it. He's made some poor choices. But he, what he says is, was fascinating to me. And, and he just was just, he just laid his, his heart wide open. L listen to this quote from him. This is, he's not a theologian. He's not a, you know, he's not a pastor. But listen to what he says. He says, you're trying to make yourself feel better. And you eat, and you drink, through sex, through gambling, through shopping. He says, whatever. But that ends up making your life worse. He says, then you do more of it to make that discomfort go away. And he says, that's when the real pain starts. It becomes a vicious cycle that you cannot break. That's at least what happened to me, is what he says. And I thought, man, this is a guy, he's got an Oscar, he's got money, he's got fame, he's got movies. I mean, he's the epitome of what everybody thinks is it. And he says, it was vicious. That's Leah and Rachel. They're getting what they want and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't satisfy, right? These, and, and what these two ladies have done is what, what the, the nation of Israel is gonna continually do. In Jeremiah 2, uh, towards the end there, it says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns from themselves. They've taken the source of life, which brings refreshment, living water, refreshment, life, joy and they've, they've rejected that and instead they've tried to make their own joy with their own wells and it's just broken and it's just dripping water and it doesn't satisfy. That's, that's what Affleck's talking about. That's what God is talking about. That's what these ladies have done, right? That's exactly what they've done. And I think if that's not a message for our culture, I don't know what is. That's a message for Bill Fowler. Maybe I'm the only one because we are a nation that's the richest most powerful, most resources, most time, most connected, most all these things. And we're trying our best just to make ourselves happy. And we're not even in the top 25 nations of happy. Right? It's, it's, it's just, it's a cistern. It's a cistern. And so I think we have to ask a couple questions uh, to just kind of diagnose our own heart. So let me give you a couple questions and I'll give you the solution. Question number one is, what is that thing that you will do anything to get and it doesn't matter if I have to compromise my, my integrity or my finances, I just have to have that. And that'll make me happy. 
if you can put anything in the blank there. Or what is the identity that you're trying to build? And some of you have this false facade of, a, a, you want everyone to perceive, this is who I am, and this is what, and you have to act a certain way, you have to be, talk a certain way, you have to be this, and really inside there's just a brokenness, but you're just trying to keep the identity out there. Or maybe it's some past wound that someone had said something to you or did something to you, and it was 10 years ago, but I can still remember the words, and it's just, I've shaped my whole life around the woundedness and how I should feel sorry for myself, and I want you to feel sorry for me, and and it's just, it's just bringing more brokenness. It's that vicious cycle. Or what is that one thing? If I can't have blank, then life is not worth living. If I can't have that, that boyfriend, if I don't get into UGA, life is not worth living. Just a side note, there's plenty of people that graduated from UGA that aren't happy. I know it's a miracle. But what is it? If I don't get that job, if we can't have that house, if I can't ever get married, if I don't have kids, if I don't get leather seats, I, you know, fill in the blank. We have all sorts of crazy stuff. If I get injured, if I get injured in my sport, my life is not worth living. If I lose my job, you, you could, whatever that is, that's, that's the Rachel and Leah. And it ends in the same place. So that's, that's the identification of, as a diagnosis. Here's the solution, because that's where we wanna go. Because I think we all do this. We, we all do it all the time. Let me give you the solution, though. And here's a word, it's a challenging word, but it's the, it's the solution to the problem, all right? It's a big word. It's contentment, all right? It's contentment. I think... Leah tasted a little bit of it after she, after she had Judah, right? Where she just rests. She's like, I'm sick of trying so hard. I'm just gonna rest in your faithfulness, God, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay here. And she has some peace until she gets back, drawn back in. But I think we as a people, we focus on so much on what we don't have. What, what, what I, where, where I'm at, where I should be. Do you know that God does not really worry about where you are? His concern is who you are. He's more interested in you as a person. He can get you to Antarctica if he wants to. You realize that, right? He, he's not concerned about that. He, he wants the, the who, not the where. We're, we're so concerned. We, well, we, even in the church, we'll plan and we'll do these things and then all of a sudden we, we pray and ask God on the backside, God bless this, bless all my endeavors instead of seeking first the kingdom and then just letting him use your gifts and abilities wherever you're at to do what he's gonna do. We are always thinking about what we're not and how I don't measure up and I'm not like them and I'm not like them and I'm not like them. I've been, you know, we wish we're different. I've been wishing I was taller since 1974 and I was only a baby then. I think I was in the womb thinking about that. It's not gonna happen. I'm still waiting for the growth spurt. Never happened. But you know what? That's fine. Who made you the way you are? My, my wife will often say, God don't make no junk. Who made you who you are? You're bald, God chose to make you bald. Enjoy it. Shine that forehead and go. You're short. Enjoy it because we have no joint pain, tall people. I mean, Clint's 10 years younger than me. That boy hurts all the time. I just laugh. I'm like, that's what you get. You know, 
You're more introverted. Great. You're more extroverted. Awesome. That's how God's wired you. Don't fight it. Be thankful. You don't want to, you're not athletic. Good. How many of you in this room play professional sports right now? Two of you. Okay, good. Yeah, there you go. That's right. See, it's okay if you're not athletic. How many of you were smart and got a job? Yeah, that's, that's the one I'm at. The idea is God is the one who puts you where you're at in his wisdom. God is the one who made you who you are in his wisdom. And he don't make no junk. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And guess what? You are loved just as much now as you ever will be. You don't have to perform for him. He's already performed in Jesus. You don't have to earn his love. He loved you before the foundation of the world and chose you to be his son and daughter. You can't earn that. And when I talk about contentment, understand this, because I think we have a laziness in the the church. Doesn't mean I'm just gonna be lazy, work 10 hours a week, not be exercising, just, oh, I'm just content. No, you're lazy. I'm talking about doing everything with excellence. Hey, strive for promotion, great. Strive for the new job, great. But the contentment is, if I get it or not, it's okay. That's the difference. We should be the most excellent employees, coaches, teachers, whatever, in the entire city coming out of the church. Because, but what we should do is, hey, whether I get into Georgia or I'm going to Valdosta, I'm content because God's the one that's leading. That's the point. That's what we want to be. And that, y'all, is hugely distinct in a world that's just filled with grumbling and complaining. Because if you're grumbling and complaining about everything, then your, your employees or your, your roommates who don't know Jesus are looking at you and saying, well, he's no different than me. His God must not be bigger than me because he's just as miserable as I am. It's a huge opportunity to be light and salt. And I think the key for contentment, there's two keys. Number one, it's stop thinking about what you don't have and start thinking about what you do. I, I, just a minor thing this morning, but when Gardner texted me, he says, the sanctuary stinks, bro. And my first thought was, great. I was frustrated, I was kind of angry. I'm thinking, why doesn't the band shower? I mean, come on. <laughs> but, but then I, I realized, I just, look, I know, it, I know it's a little stinky sometimes. It's great. Do you realize that some of our partners in Africa haven't been able to worship in their own church building because the government shut them down so they haven't been able to gather at all? At all. You guys get to come to a place that has fold-down seats. You drink free coffee. You sit next to moderately okay people. <laughs> you drove in a car that some of you had heated seats. You were inside when, when people are riding and hiding in, in homes. We're thinking about what we don't have. Yeah, there's a little smell. That's why God created Febreze. God bless it. <laughs> My son brought this from home today, by the way. That's a personal can. <laughs> Let's not think about what we don't have. Let's think about what we do. If Rachel, look, it's hard to be barren. It's, today it is, back then. But if she would have just thought, oh man, Lord, I just really want kids, but I'm thankful that you are faithful to my husband. I'm thankful that you provided a husband. He loves me. If she would have focused on that, would God have given her kids? Eventually, he had to. Guess why? He promised many nations. But she went and circumvented and did it. If Leah, and she's in a harder spot, I think. She has a husband who doesn't want her. That's a tough 
I'm not validating Jacob for that. I think he was wrong for that. But here's the thing. If she would have said, I know my husband doesn't love me, but I have a God in heaven who does. And I'm going to make these six boys that I have, I'm gonna make sure that they love theirs. And I'm gonna make sure that they're not partial to theirs. Then she wouldn't have been so bitter against her sister. And we could have ended the battle of mandrakes and maids real early. Right? If they would have just thought about what they did have instead of what they didn't. I think that's a, that's a word for our church, isn't it? If I would just, Bill, Bill Fowler would be thankful for what I do have, man, then, then that, that, would, that would be huge. This is why Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And he says, hey, if we just have food and clothes, we're good. I mean, I, that's pretty basic. How many of us would be like, I'm okay with food and clothes and internet and direct TV and food, more food, right? But that's what he says. And so I think key number one is be thankful. Just look at what you do have and not what you don't. Here's the second one, and, and this is the, the key, is, is the apostle Paul actually tells us the secret to contentment. You realize that? While he's sitting in a Roman prison, uh, suffering, hungry, cold, he, he says in a very famous passage that many of us have myth-quoted for our sons, telling them they're gonna make free throws, but this is not what it's about. It is about contentment. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. I've learned whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger Abundance and need. What is the secret? And that word for secret there is a word that's used outside the Bible of cults who have a secret wisdom. He said, here's the secret to contentment. You ready? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. What else can satisfy but the God who created the universe ultimately? Great career, Ben Affleck doesn't think so. Money, uh, fame, the promotion, they'll be, they'll be empty after a while. It's a spiral, just like Affleck said. The only thing that can satisfy you is the one who created you, the one you were created to know. Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior, the one who performed for you so you don't have to, the one who loves you before you were born so you don't have to earn love, the one who says, don't worry about stuff. Anybody worried about stuff sometimes? Right? How, how am I gonna pay for college? How am I gonna pay for this? How? He says, you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. I, I clothe the lilies, don't I? They look better than you. I feed the birds. They're eating just as good as you are. Seek first the kingdom. Be content. That's, that's what he says. It comes through Christ, through knowing Christ, pursuing Christ. That's, that's where contentment comes. Because if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, you have nothing. But if you gain Christ and lose everything, you have Christ. And that's the point. I, mean, I heard a story this week. I was listening to a sermon, actually, in preparation for this. And it was such a good story. And I, I couldn't go back and listen to it again, so I Googled it. I spent like an hour trying to Google this story, and I finally found it. I thought, this is a great story. I don't know if it's even true or not. It's not a Christian story, but it points to exactly what we're talking about here. So I'm gonna read it. So just listen to this in closing. 
And then we're just going to sing. I, I don't have 16 points. I don't have four. Do, I, the, the message of this sermon is Christ is enough for his church. And he, he just is. And he wants some of y'all to know that this morning. That Jesus is enough for you. If you would just pursue him. If he stands at the doors and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him, I will dine with him, and he with me. So let me read this story. The story is told by the Persians of the great Shah Abbas, who reigned magnificently in Persia, but he loved to mingle with the people in disguise. And so once he dressed up as a poor man, he descended the long flight of stairs, dark and damp, to the tiny cellar where the fireman, seated on ashes, was tending the furnace. And the king sat down beside him and began to talk. And at mealtime, the firemen produced some, some coarse black bread and a jug of water. And they ate and they drank. And the Shah went away. But then he returned again and again and again. For his heart was filled with sympathy for this lonely man, this fireman. And so he gave him sweet counsel. And the poor man opened his whole heart and loved this friend who was so kind and wise and yet poor like himself. And at last, the emperor thought, I will tell him who I am and see what gift he will ask. So he said one day, you think I am poor, but I am actually Shah Abbas, your emperor. And he expected a petition for some great thing, but the man sat silent, gazing on him with love and wonder. The king said, haven't you understood? I can make you rich. I can make you noble. I can give you a city. I can appoint you as a great leader. Have you nothing to ask from me? The man replied gently, yes, my Lord, I understood. But what is this you have done to leave your palace and your glory, to sit with me in this dark place, to partake of my coarse fare, to care whether my heart is glad or sorry? Even you can give nothing more precious. On others you may bestow rich presents, but to me you have given yourself. It only remains to ask that you never withdraw this gift of your friendship. God has given himself. And it's greater than the blessings of these things. God has given us himself. Emmanuel, God with us. And he wants his church to know. He wants you guys to know. And I know we know it, but I think we need to know it. That he is enough. That he is enough. That he is enough for your job. He is enough for your school. He is enough in your relationships. He's enough in your finances. That Jesus is enough. And the highest privilege is not the, having the blessing of the emperor, but having the friendship and the presence of the emperor. And that we have in Jesus. And so... I think we can put away our mandrakes and our maids and pursue the one who created you to know him. In which he says, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he wants you to know that this morning. And I know some of you are in the middle of it and he wants you to know even in the middle of it that he is there and that you can have joy and you can be satisfied in him. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna respond like like Leah did. We're gonna Judah. We're gonna praise the Lord. We're just gonna sing and respond. And that's the opportunity for the church. It's just to worship and to kind of tune our hearts to sing thy praise, as the, as the songwriter said. So let me pray. 
Why don't you guys stand and we will, uh, we'll just sing a couple songs. Father, I thank you for the truth that your son is good and that he is enough and that you love us. And I pray for those here who have been striving. You say, cease striving and know that you are God. And some of us need to just cease striving and rest to taste and see that the Lord is good, to know that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May we be a church that does that. May we not be grumblers and complainers, but we will be content even in the midst of trial, that we would be content because we know you are good. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior.